From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Fred Haberman is co-founder and CEO of Haberman, a branding, advertising, and PR agency based in Minneapolis. But that's not the main reason he's here. In addition to building a successful agency over the past 25 years that works with big brands like Volvo, United Health Group, many others, Fred has also pursued his passions for organic foods and farming. He's co-founder of two organic food startups, Urban Organics and Freak Flag Organic. He played a role in the growth of organic brands that are now household names like Annie's and Organic Valley. He's a pioneer in employee-sponsored gardens, and he's founder of the U.S. Pond Hockey Championships. Fred is a leader who thinks big and works from the heart. I'm so glad to have you here, Fred. Thanks, Allie. It's great to be here. Um, Let's start in Kazakhstan, (laughs) shall we? Why not? Um, So I assume you're referring to... uh, the fact that my wife and I started a business there in 1993. Now, um, the wall had just come down, um, the big wall, as you might remember, um, and uh, the president, Nazarbayev of uh, Kazakhstan, was uh, very friendly to investment. And as a matter of fact, Chevron had just signed a $20 billion deal at the time to uh, uh, drill oil there, and many, many companies were flocking to Kazakhstan. And so uh, we had a couple investors who said, hey, do we, do we know anyone in our network um, that, that might be able to go over there and, and create a business? And lo and behold, um, our, my father-in-law uh, introduced us to a couple investors, and we, went, we quit our jobs. My wife was working at Jostens uh, and Colgate Palmolive a little bit later at the time, and I was working at an agency here in the, here Twin, in the Twin Cities. And we thought, hey, let's let's go over there and give it a shot. We had lived abroad uh, uh, before. We were only 26 years old at the time. And we you went, two met in college. We met at Madison, uh-huh. uh, worked um, at a camp for, for a number of years, uh, and and loved the idea of adventure, but also wanted to... to, to Give it a give it a try at doing international business, and so we went over there and started the first office products retail store, and it was just the wild, wild west. And two flights a, a week came out of uh, from Moscow to uh, uh, the western border of, of uh, China, which is where we were we were uh, working. Nothing was really working that well, but we were able to get the business up and running. But once again, it 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 we had to we had to let that that business go. The the infrastructure related to legal and and uh, uh, banking systems just wasn't there to support us. And boy, you sure do begin to appreciate uh, doing business and, and being an entrepreneur in the United States when you've done it in other countries, because it's it's far more difficult to the point where Nazarbayev was still president of Kazakhstan as of eight months ago. Uh-huh. So it's really, really rough to deal with uh, that type of, um, uh, I would say, autocracy, even though our partner um, at the time in Kazakhstan was the pr- son-in-law of the president of the country. So we had very, very high level uh, relationships um, 
to the the head of uh, economic development for the country, uh, to uh, the ambassador of Kazakhstan, and a number of others were supporting us. It just was just really difficult to you get it done. You were 26? 26. How in the world did you know what you were doing? We we didn't. Um, we just we just were relentless in in going after trying to create. Um, uh, various uh, business options. In fact, we went over there hoping to create a business service center, and we we lost the space because we wanted to be a glorified Kinkos, and we were outbid by an Italian company who bribed a bunch of officials, and we lost it. And then we learned the the hard lessons of how international business is done. And so we went to our partner, and our partner said, "How about an office products retail store?" And we went down that route. And how long did you stay there? We were there for a little less than a year, going on five years. It just you can't imagine. Living in a place like that where or anywhere where you would say to yourself, wow, time goes so slowly because hmm. we're always so used to fast paced. We had literally three dozen people that would just go and stand in line for us trying to get seals and stamps and to try to get through this very Byzantine structure that was the Kazakh um, uh, economic system that was slowly trying to transition to capitalism. Amazing. So I guess the good part about that is you come back and it makes starting a business in America seem like a breeze. Absolutely. <laughs> but that's that even the breeze on the one hand, it's extremely difficult to start and grow a business in anywhere in the, in the world. But sure. compared to Kazakhstan, uh, it's it's rough. So it makes you appreciate. I mean, I'm sorry, in Kazakhstan is far rougher. So yeah. so you came back from that experience. And did you and, and your wife, Sarah, right? Yes. Um, did you decide to start an agency right away? So Was we, that what you wanted to do? We, we first because we had worked at this camp and had been married at this camp. We um as we we traveled eastward around the world after Kazakhstan and spent time in in, in Pakistan and then a, a few months in Nepal and New Zealand and our whole goal and hope at that time was to create an adventure travel company which which we basically hmm. did called simply Wilderness but it was under the the moniker of Haberman and um, we knew that we needed to make some money while we were uh, creating. Um, uh, while we were leading people on remote wilderness trips. And this, this tagline that we had was, was ridiculous. It was so long, but it was um, uh, remote wilderness. The tagline was remote wilderness experiences for passionate earth explorers seeking profound simplicity in nature. <laughs> okay. Uh, but we did get people to come to, back to Nepal with us. We, we got people to yeah. go to, to Canada. But we realized in, in short order that it was going to be a, a tough, tough, tough road um, to, to be able to keep that business going. So in short order, we, we started Haberman. And our lessons from traveling around the world and working at camp and camps and really valuing experiential learning, we, we started to realize that we wanted to make a difference in the world um, through um, communications. And so we created a mission that we're very proud of that stands today, 25 years later, which is to inspire or excuse me, to um, tell the stories of pioneers who are making a difference in the world. Mm. And um, we got very, very lucky right out of the gates, even though we had a few clients. Um, the big client that we, we ended up... Um, uh, 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 I suppose partnering with was Anne Bancroft, the polar explorer. So, right, right, right from the start, uh, back in 1998. Okay. Um, so we had come back. We tried our hand at some some canoe trips and remote wilderness, but we were doing some some PR for some smaller companies to make to ends meet. And um, my wife ran into Anne at an environmental rally, and Anne said, "You know, I, I was as we, as as we found out, 
she was the first woman. We knew her through the, the Outdoor Network that she was the first woman to go to the North Pole and uh, with Will Steger. And we got to know her. And she said, I'd like to be the first woman uh, with a partner that is yet to be identified who ended up being um, um, Leif Arneson from Norway. I'd like to be the one of the first two women to cross Antarctica. And so we created a company uh, across the hall with a bunch of others, Charlie Hartwell and a few other dear friends, um, to create um a uh, uh, a, a business and and a support an expedition support group for her expedition interestingly we started in 1998 that particular entity across the hall from our burgeoning PR agency and um, this was separate from Haberman the PR correct. agency okay. and it was called Bancroft Ernest and Expedition that was the name of the entity and we um um we always start with the mission in mind. So the mission is the contribution you make in the world. And the mission for this particular uh, adventure was to inspire and promote the achievement of dreams. The mm-hmm. visions, the time-limited story you tell, and the vision that, that Anne had and all of us had was that we wanted to promote uh, and um, we wanted to inspire girls, quite frankly, and young people and, and women. And the goal was to use this thing called the internet to get people to follow along uh, with the expedition. And so we we had many, many, it was two years of lots of hard work trying to get sponsorships, trying to get media people on board. And finally we got CNN um, to agree to two interviews a week. And then we got we did a big deal with NBC where we got Katie Couric and all of the NBC properties to support the event. And then lo and behold, we got three million kids to follow along on the expedition as they went Hmm. across Antarctica. And Volvo became um, a sponsor during all of that. And then Volvo said, hey, we kind of like what you're doing. Would you help us? And then we became... Um, and at that time, we were like, well, we'll never work with big companies. We'll never do that. And then, of course, we fell in love with this guy, Soren Johansson from Sweden, who um, wanted us to help him with this cause marketing programs. And from there, we started the Volvo for Life Awards, where we would, um, quite frankly, create a story, a human interest story generator, where we would seek out ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And we meshed that with the Volvo brand, where we had three categories, um, the environment, safety, and the quality of life. And we had judges that many people know, Richard Branson, Carolyn Kennedy, uh, Hank Aaron, um, many others that people would know that would support and and these, uh, they would, they would we, we would get nominations from all over the, the country and then they would select the final recipients of the Volvo for Life Awards and then we would rent out Good Morning America Studios right there in New York City and have this massive gala to support these wonderful, wonderful people. Okay, let's take a minute. You, you, you were traveling around the world. You're starting businesses far, far away. You're, you're adventuring. You've got this PR agency. Take me back for a second. What did you major in in college? History. Okay. And Obviously. and then I was several credits short of uh, majoring in English. I, I just love to read and intellectual curiosity is really important to me um, and people we hire and people that are, I, I've just, I'm a very curious soul. And um, I also try every, to always follow my passion. Do you, if I had asked you when you were at in college, if you were an entrepreneur, if you, what, what you were going to do after school, what would you have said? Probably following my dad's footsteps, law or something like that. But I, I started studying for the LSAT and I was like, I can't do this. I, this is not for me. Um, I need, I'm, I'm, I just need more uh, adventure in my life. And, and Camp Manitouish up in northern Wisconsin really helped me with that because it, 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 
inspired me to go after things because they believed in me like they believed in lots of people where you could provide a, a very – a big, cha- a big challenge for someone, and then they would overcome it. And so this kind of outward-bound-oriented mentality really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And then I became, I became excited about traveling and, and, and challenging myself. And, and also, uh, I got a real high out of working with um, a team of people for a common goal. And this idea of, of working with and we hired today this way, um, hiring people on kindness, brilliance, and adaptability. And, and kindness is all that comes from camp, quite frankly. Um, this idea that you can work with people um, without being a jerk. Um, <laughs> although we can all be jerks at times. We can wake up at the on the wrong side of the bed. But as long as you admit it and move on and everyone cleans their mess up after 24 hours. Um, um, That's the grace period, 24 yeah, hours. Yeah, I think there is a grace period. It's, kind of like, it's like when I coach <laughs> hockey. You know, don't yell at me for my bad decisions uh, right away. Wait 24 hours. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what happens in 24 hours. You calm down. And then the brilliance is really just about being yourself. Um, that's what we hired people for. And How many people work for Haberman? About 50, 55. What did you know about PR? What did you know about starting an agency? I didn't know much, honestly. I had only worked in the PR world for about 30 months um, before. I just knew that Did I, you work for anyone else at any yeah, point? Yeah, I worked at Camps for Communication for about 20 months and then Wells and Miller uh, for 10 months. They're both defunct, but they gave me some really good experience. I worked on um, the, inter- the International FedEx account and the Pillsbury account and a bunch of others. And um, the more than anything, I, I learned that, that of course, it's, you got to work hard. Mm-hmm. And you've got to, you've got, if you, if you, if there's something, I remember when I did the, the test for, uh, to get, to try to get a job with Helen Knowlton. And this was like a month or two before I got the job at this small company, Wells and Miller. I, I looked up how to write a news release. <laughs> you know, I said, well, I'm a good writer. I can do this. And of course, when I did the writing test, I forgot to put the headline on it, but I still ended up getting a job finally because I was relentless in trying to figure out what they needed or what they wanted. Or I, I, I found out who their clients were and I would ping them on, on, hey, you know, have you thought about this for FedEx or that? And so I was, I always would kind of uh, like I said, relentlessly pursue the target all the way to Organic Valley. Uh, Teresa Marquez, who was the chief marketing officer, then the chief mission officer, and just retired, said that we hired Haberman so Fred would stop stalking me. <laughs> <laughs> that's your reputation. Although her living, her living room furniture looks fabulous. <laughs> no, sorry, that's <laughs> a, that's, that's a joke from uh, different, different uh, time. Liar, liar. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what was it though that appealed to you? Given that you were you know you're an adventurer, you were an athlete. What appealed to you about the work of PR and branding? Advocacy, advocacy. Um, the reason why I I knew that I couldn't just promote anything that I. I I, I quite frankly have trouble with advertising. I have a lot of trouble with advertising. I have a lot of trouble with. Um, the ads I see whenever I watch my sports, you know, I, I really do. It, I have to TiVo them. They're, they they don't agree with most often my values. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do laugh at a lot of them, interestingly, but I generally don't like, like I have trouble during the Super Bowl watching the ads, even though I'm in the ad business and people are like, well, man. So for me, it has to, to be something even, it's not really even the brands. Some people come to me and say, well, 
what brands do you want to work on? And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't met the people. And so George and Teresa at Organic Valley, Soren at Volvo, I can kind of give you the people that I believed in that were making the right decisions that I wanted to advocate for. And then the brands would be that reflection of that. And, you know, now that usually when there's someone is purchased, um, uh, one of our clients is purchased or so, someone um, uh, decides to retire, more often than not, we're not working with them anymore because it's a different reflection of what, and that's a bad business model. It's a tough business model. But for me, it's, it's advocacy. And I always felt that I could kind of be a somewhat political without alienating people by going into the organic food industry because I could... I could, my passion was, was great food. My passion was the environment. My, one of my many passions, my passion you have a lot was, of passions. was, um, uh, um, um, you know, helping, helping people to eat better. So they're healthier for any, any number of reasons. So were you already thinking about that, about food and organics in the early days of Haberman? I mean, yes. Yeah, I was, um, I would go to, so I was like, well, if I'm going to go back and make more money doing public relations, which was really where we started, we became full service. I knew I had it to, had to advocate for things that I believed in. And so I would go to the wedge and I would go down the aisles and say, who out there? Because I would go, people would say, well, you need to network to get new business. And I would be like, okay, I get that. But I need to network in an area that I'm passionate about. Like people say, well, you go network with PR folks or go work, go network with this. I would go network at the wedge, so to speak, in the sense that I would go and talk to them about what brands are up and coming and which ones are authentic and which ones might I buy. So mm-hmm. I would start to look at my own pantry or look at my own. And that's how, that's how the, the business generally progressed is that I would go after once again like I did the classes in college I would go after what I was passionate about so what was your first inroad into organic foods so a buddy of mine um, back in um, college um, uh, visited me and the old Mifflin Street co-op oh yes uh, where we would have lots of parties that uh, are legal now in Colorado but not legal in Madison <laughs> still Uh uh, we would, uh, the Mifflin, I was, a, I lived across from the Mifflin street co-op and I, my buddy said, here, I want you to try this. And he went and got these, uh, cherry tomatoes that were organic compared to, um, a conventional cherry tomato. And I tasted the two and I was just blown away at the explosion of tastes of wonderful tastes that I got from the organic cherry tomato versus the other tomato. And then we did it with orange juice and we started doing that. Was this before or after you were partying on Mifflin Street? That this All the above. <laughs> I partied During, a lot in college. Before. I'm just thankful to be alive. Yes. The things that happen on Mifflin Street. You know, Madison. yeah. Um, uh, so, so that was that, my so that the was taste. Interesting, it was the taste, and then being you know um, an environmentalist, I would say, um, and and loving the earth from Camp Manitowish, it all kind of converged together. And so I could I could be an advocate for something I really believed in. And then for the larger, in the end, the larger corporate stuff, um, like Volvo and and you mentioned United Health Group uh, with the uh, the diabetes, I. I started to realize that, hey, you know what? You have a choice. You can. Who are you going to promote? Who are you going to advocate for? Who are you going to to go? At? Who are you going to once again support? And that's that's what we do every day. Now, I would say that some of our clients, I would, I always would say, are neutral to extremely positive. If you have the 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 same beliefs as we, I mean, some might look at our client list and say, well, that's just rubbish. I'm not going to support <laughs> organic. Well. 
on my side, I support organic and I like to be an advocate for it. Did you start uh, by doing just straight up PR for other yeah, organic exactly. brands? Is straight that straight up P- PR media relations? But it was always more than that because I had I did some. I forgot to mention I did some organizational development, management consultant work, consulting work between. I did a lot of weird jobs between ninety six or after Kazakhstan to to. Um, uh, 98, 2000, I, I would sometimes do team building and, and management consulting. And, um, um, what was the question again? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I, I was wondering oh, how was you started PR? working yeah. with so, the so, organic So brands. what happened is, is that we started with media relations, public relations, but then they realized that we were good at helping develop mission and vision, which I had done it with other companies and that, um, we also, because of the business doing Kazakhstan and and adventure travel, we had to do some spreadsheets. We knew some business, and they're like, "Wow, um, they know a little bit about business." But then also our our creative ideas. People were saying, "Hey, I love this idea. I'm going to give this to my ad agency," mm. and they're like, "Oh my gosh, this is terrible. They're going to give this to somebody else versus us." And and so we started realizing that we should probably beef up a little bit and get some services going on the ad side. So you figured that out organically, organically as well. Yeah, it's painful. I mean, it, because you're we're an independent group, so we don't have any backing. So you have to go out and take these 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 risks um, to 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 you know invest in in someone to to work with you that you, you know, you think there's a big opportunity. You're being asked that to do this kind of work. So then you have to, of course, take the risk and, and hire a pretty decent salary to help you and support you. In the early days of Haberman, was it just you and your wife? Did you, did it require an investment to, to it, open the doors? My dad gave us $10,000 and um, um, it went to a second car because we had one car, and then it went to a computer, which they they cost a lot more than they were just la- they were just you know these stationary computers, and then a phone system in a duplex uh, between Cedar Lake and uh, Lake of the Isles, and we had the two of us with our chief feline officer, our CFO, and we had. A, a buddy who I was who helped me uh, with the canoe trips, helping me with, do um, uh, uh, editorial calendars for trade media relations. And here's this guy that weighs two forty. That's a carpenter helping me with these these trade uh, uh, these these physical um, media trade yeah. calendars. These books that you used to get, if uh-huh. you recall. And I remember one time, um, you know. I thought, well, this is going to be great. I'll just work out of my home. This will be fabulous. Uh, I'll have all kinds of freedom. I'll be able to ride my bike. I'll be able to play my guitar. I'll be able to do all these different things. And I realized that freelancing was terrible for me. I never left the office or my home. And one time the UPS guy was dropping off these trade calendars. I come down. I'm like, what is that smell? And I realized it was me. I hadn't bathed in like two and a half days. (laughs) I was just like, this is- You needed an office. I, I needed an office. And the other thing is I got so scared of, um, you know, there's all kinds of anxieties related to business, but I got so scared that one of my clients was going to go away. So I ended up constantly trying to get new business and it kind of just, because of my, my paranoia around diversifying our portfolio, we ended up getting more and more work. But once again, we were targeting people that we wanted to work with. How do you and your wife play off each other? What role did she play in all this? 
She's incredible. Um, the I can't emphasize enough. Um, you know, we we balance each other. She's she's more even keel. She's um, quite frankly a phenomenal writer. And um, when you're starting out, um, you can't. I can't emphasize enough how powerful it is to have somebody you trust uh, to do great work, but and to and to be there to support you emotionally. I mean, I hate to say it. Mm-hmm. I'm an emotional, high maintenance person, but and so I need to have someone coaching me, just as she needs someone coaching her. And uh-huh. you know, the soft stuff is the hard stuff of business. I mean, we can talk all you want about process and metrics and all that, but at the end of the day, uh, uh, do you trust this person? Do you do you care for this person? Do you think that this person has your back? And that in life, of course, keeps all the stuff that they teach us. And as we know, in kindergarten, all the way to um, what your parents may have taught you, it really, if you can translate that into business, particularly when you're starting and you're very, very vulnerable, it, 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 it's everything. So at what point did you decide not just to work with organic food brands, but to start one? Yeah. So, um, one, our, as I mentioned, our business model is tough, like any service business. Um, you end up there, there are a number of things. Like I said, I'd like to try to follow, follow the passion, my passion, um, and then manifest something. Whether it was first, it was U.S. Pond Hockey Championships. Oh, that came before the food. Yeah, so I, I had to do it. You know, I ate you were eight. a college hockey player. Not, I mean, I was just a JV rat at Madison. You know, I went to Madison. I found out I wasn't a good hockey player, but I was good enough to play some pretty good park hockey, I suppose. But I have a massive passion around just playing as a kid, you know, and I Mm -hmm. I think that one of the reasons why we we created the U.S. Pond Hockey Championships is just simply to remind and and provide an opportunity for all of us to be kids again, to reunite with our friends as if it's our backyard uh, or the park as when we grew up, as well as reunite with our youth. And for people who aren't familiar, I mean, it's worldwide. It's I mean, to give give a few metrics of how big yeah, U.S. So, Pond Hockey is. You know, gotten. about anywhere between twelve to twenty thousand people show up. Uh, f- uh, per year, depending upon the the weather, uh, could be very very cold. Um, but there there's some amazing stories around that. You know, we when we launched it, we had um, who was the we? Did you have partners? Well, my Brian Walkler, um, who is is our the president of Haberman, and my wife and and many others. And we did start right away with with Ridgeway helping us with some of the event. But in the end, we ended up owning all of it. Um, when I say we, there are so many people, Jeff Arendell, uh, Steele Arendell. I mean, there are so many people that I, right when I start naming people, I want to name another hundred. I mean, to put something like that together is just an extraordinary feat, of course, and I didn't really get it. How, how many, how long ago was it that you started uh, it? 2006. Okay. So at this point, your Haberman was already Haberman doing was going. Well. Haberman was going. Um, Volvo was really humming. Um, Bancroft had just com- been, had completed Organic Valley and Annie's were clients. I was 39 years old and I was like uh, a friend, Jeff Arendell, threw this, 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 uh, this big tournament photo in Sports Illustrated on, on, my, on my desk and said, you know, you should actually said, you know, have you thought about uh, advertising, um, buying an advertising agency or something like that? Because I was struggling on how we could become full service. And I said, I don't want to do that. He goes, well, how about pond hockey? Because he knows how much I love. And there were other people. We had played in a tournament in, in Edina. We'd been talking about doing a tournament. And um, 
I just went in there and this, you know, you want to try to research as much as possible. Um, but I, I went out and, and bought boards. There was some research, but I, I went out and bought boards for 25 hockey rinks and wanted to put on Lake Calhoun where we could have a view of the city, which we did. We got that done. But I'll never forget, we had just these pallets of boards that showed up on the, on the ice and none of us knew how to put them, put them up. And we put them up that weekend before, and then on Tuesday we showed up, and all the boards had blown, blown down. Mm. And I'll never forget that feeling, you know, when you're about to cry, and that that feeling comes in from your stomach, and it's yeah. kind of come up, and you got to swallow it down. I was all by myself, and the the, the lake was cracking, and I was like, I'm going to be the laughing stock of Minnesota. And quite frankly, the park board saved my bacon. They helped; they were a partner, and they once again partnerships. You know, because you're going to make mistakes, you're going to overextend, and if you have a pretty good, solid partnership with people coming in, you can you can make it work. And the park board uh, helped us that first year. The second year, eight inches of um, there's no ice on Calhoun, so but there's eight inches on Nakoma, so we moved it. Huh. But we had really good support from the governor, uh, the former governor, the current governor at the time, and a bunch of hockey people, including the Dan Brooks Foundation. You don't make money off of it, do you? Gosh, no. I didn't do it for money. Do you put, did you have to put money in? Yep. Okay. I did it because I had to do it. Okay. And are you still involved? No, we sold it to a wonderful group. Um, Justin Koffenberg and his group over at TST Media, um, which owns Engine, now owns it. And they were just purchased by NBC Sports. So now NBC Sports owns uh, the U.S. Pond Hockey Championships. Oh, Um, wow. Do you still um, play? Every year. Okay. Um, but that, but then after when that sold, we ended up, um, uh, because I couldn't ask for favors anymore. And, you know, when you get really tired, you know, it's just, like I said, I wasn't making any money. I was chasing $15,000 sponsorships when we should have been chasing $15,000 a month retainers. And we ended up, um, that's when my partner, Brian, said, hey, you got to take a year off. And I said, well, I really want to look at food access. I want to I want to see what that's all about. And I was inspired by Will Allen down in Milwaukee, who had um, developed an aquaponics uh, um, facility um, in, and it turned a food desert into a food oasis in Milwaukee. And I was part of a foundation that my parents run, and I got to know what Will was doing. And I thought, well, maybe we could do this here. Um, and at the same time, my head of operations for Pond Hockey, after we sold it, went and was looking at, Dave Hyder was his name, is his name, and he was uh, looking at doing it in, in a building um, in an area that needed a lot of um, uh, a recharge in terms of economic development. And that was in East St. Paul. And we uh, all together bought um, for a really great price from the city, the uh, Hams building and created an aquaponics uh, 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 system where fish were grown, uh, tilapia that would then kick off um, uh, uh, organic fertilizer, so to speak, through their waste. And then we'd filter it out and then we grew uh, organic greens. And then Pentair came in uh, invested money, and then we did it in the Schmidt facility. And the whole idea, of You've course, sold that now. Yes. Uh, but, but basically, what I'm most proud of is that it's an iterative system, and I, I do believe that this is going to be a really important variable in how we sustainably uh, feed the world. It's not going to be the variable, but it's going to be a key variable in the sense that you have protein and nutrition on site, and you're only using 2% of the water to... Um, uh, to uh, create a contained system that could be exported and, and, and created anywhere in the world. And so the, I dream was that you'd have a million 
square foot facility, whether it's in Africa, which will be the most populated continent um, 30 years from now, or you could do it on an island, or you can do it right here in Minneapolis. And so we generated um, help generate. We were the the spark, I suppose. It's not just because of us, but we we're the spark in generating $200 million of economic development in that area, hmm. as well as several hundred jobs. So we're very proud of, of those metrics. But it's a very iterative thing, and we'll see where urban organics, uh, or not just urban organics, the aquaponics uh, industry goes. And so then what, where did you go from there? You moved on to... Freak Flag Freak Organics. Flag. Okay. Um, so... The other thing that's really important to me is, uh, and the mission of Free Flag Organics is to um, inspire uh, self-expression for better human understanding and connection. So, I don't know, you probably know people, certainly it's yourself, where you can't help yourself. You have to do something creative. Like, you might know a girl or a boy that, it's like, I love singing, and I just couldn't help myself. I had to go up in fifth grade and sing in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. Or I can't help myself. I just got to go and play guitar. And I feel that way about music and guitar. I also, every day you have an opportunity to to create something wonderful in the kitchen. Every day, you, you generally, you, you need to eat. You could probably go longer than a day. But every day you're, you have an opportunity to cook. And so the idea is to, to be yourself in the world and in the kitchen. And so we've created a line of condiments and pestos that um, we hope will inspire people to, 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 to be themselves and, and to be curious about food, but also hopefully will remind them to, to, to self-express. And I believe that when you see somebody, it might be you that is leaning into your passion, that you're going to be happier. But interestingly, you also inspire other people. When they see you, then they're excited and they're going to say, it reminds them, hey, maybe I should go do pottery class because sure. I've always wanted to do it. Are you a good cook? I I use great ingredients. Okay. And <laughs> so you... they taste great. So like, I'll go to, I'll go and have chicken noodle soup somewhere, which I'm, I love soups. And I'm like, ah, but that it's not that great. Pour but, some condiments on that. Well, yeah. Or, or it's just like, they need more garlic. So, <laughs> you know, when you, the reason why I like my cooking is because I like my ingredients. Mm-hmm. So did you develop the recipes no, for Free Flag um, Foods? I, I certainly give ideas, but this wonderful woman, Mary Jane Miller, who um, is a, a local chef, is is partnered with, with us. Um, and um, she is helping with, with these amazing recipes. And they're kind of, they're international mashups to a degree, you know, like one's a chimiverde that, that has a number of wonderful uh, international tastes or uh, profiles that, that mash up together. There's a there's a chop sauce that meshes the, the A1 sauce here local, uh, in America with the, the pub sauce of the UK. And then we have a line of pestos, the only, as far as we know, the vegan line of pestos uh, in the United States. So we're trying to do some creative things with that. Where are they available? Right now they're at Lund's Barley's and, and the local co-ops. And then now we're, we're starting to branch out nationally with the Fresh Market and, and a few other uh, retailers. But like all new businesses, it, it's it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of relentless pursuit. And the the lesson, you know, if you were to ask me is, you want to start businesses that you're passionate about because you're going to get beaten up a lot and you got to keep picking yourself up. People ask me, well, what, what is it that, what, what recommendations I say, well, that you might give me? And I go, well, put a helmet on and run at that wall and then keep picking yourself up 10 times because that's kind of what it feels like. So mm-hmm. you've got to, 
you know, you've got to try to, you want to make sure you're, you're picking something that you have some uh, large reservoir of energy and that you're around people that you trust and possibly even love. So you strike me as one of those classic entrepreneurs who love, obviously you're very creative, you're passionate about a lot of things, you're not afraid to take a risk, dive in, work hard, start new things. How do you also, as somebody who is running an agency, has employees, has a family, how do you make calculated decisions? How do you keep the agency going? How do you divide your time? Does your wife ever tell you, stop, no more new businesses? How, how do you decide? It's a great question. I think I think um, you know. Of course, you talk about balance and balances. That's one way I'll answer it. Is that you've got? It's always a personal thing. So I ride my bike to work as much as I can. I um, I coached um, hockey. My coached my son for several six seven years. Um, there's certain things that you just have to put, no matter what. Um, um, is going on with your work life, you must for your own sanity um, and, and, and who you want to be in the world, you have to put some, some boundaries around. Um, the other thing I would say related to starting businesses, I started to say that it's the kind of a disease actually um, because it's not always the healthiest thing to be creating things. I, I cannot help myself. Okay. So I started to realize that you know, I remember when I was 30 or something, I'd be like, well, I'll just start that business and then I'll go retire and I'll sell it and I'll retire. Well, I don't know any entrepreneurs really that retire, that were true entrepreneurs that retire. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're involved in other things. I just, I, that's not going to happen for me. Um, I, I need to be intellectually engaged. I know that if I even went off for six to nine months uh, to wherever it might be, I'd probably go into some local grocery store and go to the manager and say, have you thought about, and, and so it's a curse. It is a little bit because it, it, you're, you're setting, you're going to have anxiety with this. This is going to, um, you know, so I try to spend a lot of my time trying to figure out how I can manage my energy and my anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, and some days are, I'm better at it than others, but that's why I go back to the the soft stuff because you need to have a, a support network and partners that you trust. Like I trust, you know, Brian and Sarah and, and many others um, in my life, um, and they need the support back. Have you gotten more practical about new ventures? Do you think about, you know, is this going to bring me a return? Am I going to make money off of this? Is that, does that at all come into play? Or? Absolutely. Okay. So you have to know what the, the, why you're doing something, you know, with pond hockey, I did not do it to make money. Okay. With Haberman, I do that to, to a big part of that, that the, 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 um, the equation there is I need to make money on that. That pays for my home. It pays for my mortgage. It's not a bad thing to make money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't, I'm a, I'm a, um, you know, in that way, I, I tend to very quickly uh, connect with business people and Republicans for that matter. I am a business person and I am okay with lower taxes and making it as easy as possible for entrepreneurs to succeed. At the same time, I'm a social progressive. So I need to have purpose, and they're both equally important to me. So um, why am I doing Freak Flag? I'm doing, why do I do these businesses? Well, one of the 
the goals is to prove, hopefully to myself, if they say, if anyone ever says anything positive about me, which would be wonderful when I die, hopefully they'll say, there's a guy that proved that you could have a for-profit business and do some good in the world. Hmm. That's a good goal. Hmm. How many more businesses do you think you have in you? You know, it's hard to know, but I, I, I'm hoping that Freak Flag Organics is the one that will take me the rest of the way, um, along with Haberman, but certainly Freak Flag in the sense that I hope that that will become a, a product and brand platform that can spread beyond food. And But, of course, that's everyone's dream. You, know, you hear, well, it's a lifestyle brand. Of course, that is the dream here. Um, you know, I, I, I would love to, to get into potentially clothing at some point at the right time um, and some other things. So I, I'm hopeful that, that that platform will succeed and will provide all kinds of opportunities to, to support my, my love of creativity. Well, we will look for Freak Flag on the shelves of our grocery stores and uh, then maybe we'll watch for you on the runway. Next. Uh, all right. That would be, that'd be weird. Some kind of weird, freaky uh, yeah. clothing. Maybe I'll, cl- I like a Freddy Gaga. Okay. Never know. All trends go around. What goes around comes around. Fred Haberman, thank you so much for being here. Stick around. We're going to go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. That's next. Fred, thank you so much. Thank you, Ellie. Well, Fred Haberman, as you heard, is an entrepreneur with boundless energy and enthusiasm to create new things. How do you decide when to go for it, who to partner with? For some perspective, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Professor Katerina Padet is the Department Chair of Ethics and Business Law here at St. Thomas. Katerina, what did you think listening to Fred? Wow, it was a force of nature, that's for sure. <laughs> right? One thing that really struck me about Fred is this just deep drive that he has to create and help society. And it's sometimes not necessarily defined to just one particular thing. I mean, his main vision is, I want to help. And whatever opportunities seem suitable, he has the drive to just act on it and go ahead and try that venture. Right. It's truly the creativity and the passion. That's it's not right. like business is, the, business is just the means to to the end? Right. I mean, he talks about this deep need to create every day. And I think that's that's partially the driver there, that he wants to create. He wants to produce some good, positive outcome. And yet he realizes that, well, I have to pay the mortgage mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have to finance these ventures because not all of them necessarily return Um, money or enough money to keep things going. So he has a really interesting approach to the role that profit plays in a business. And because his his whole portfolio kind of complements each other. So the individual pieces create the whole. But let's talk about that for a minute, all the different pieces. Because he joked a little bit about how some of the people yeah. he works with are just like, could you just focus? And he's like, this is me focused, right? Having right. all these different things. Mm-hmm. But it is a little tricky. And when you do go out on a limb and start other things, it can start to detract from your main business. So how 
how is the best way to navigate that? And how do you decide who to partner with? Yeah, I think the partnership piece here is critical. Um, and he acknowledges that as well. He says, well, these people keep me grounded. And certainly he is very lucky to have a spouse who compliments him in that regard, that she maybe keeps the bigger picture in mind. But also the other partners, um, the the selection here is key as well. And we see this with some of the other ventures he's undertaken, maybe with larger companies like the Urban Organics and Pantere that maybe in the end perhaps didn't quite work out the way he might have intended them in the beginning. But the, the partners, what seems critical here is that they share his vision of what the business is and what role the profit plays in a given venture. So if you partner with someone whose main goal is is to make business, and it's not that important what the particular thing is that the business does, that can create tremendous tension because you're not aligned. But when you have partners who see the vision and understand the mission of what what your business does, then you can work together and then benefit off each other's strengths while still pulling on the same string. Right, right. Well, great advice. And uh, I mean, Fred definitely makes it seem like anything's possible. I know. Well, we'll see the clothing line. I'm curious. <laughs> yes, me too. Stay tuned for that report. Well, thank you, Katerina Pettit, for being here. Thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the show, you can go to tcbmag.com slash byallmeans. I'm Allison Kaplan. On behalf of Twin Cities Business, thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. Bye.